we live in a culture that really does not um, appreciate the longevity of most anything. And so I do want to express my personal thanksgiving to you, Richard, for your longevity in the Lord. Um, I, I, there might be one other person or so who may equal that in this church. I'm not even sure, but thankful for that. Thankful for this, the direction that you have continued to give us in uh, symbolized by that compass, the direction that you pointed us to for many years, the Lord, Jesus Christ, and living for him. And thankful for uh, Sandra, who's stuck with you for all those years, too. And really, and, that, and I know you're thankful for her, too. I know we all who have good wives who support us, who help us in our weakest times and in our strengths, um, we're thankful for, it's a teamwork, it's definitely it's a teamwork, so thank you so much. You can turn to Romans chapter 8, we're actually, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be, first reading is there. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached at the Westminster Chapel in London for many years, was once asked what he thought was the greatest book of the Bible. His answer was, the one I'm studying right now. And I really feel a kindred spirit to him when I read that quote, because as I study the scriptures and immerse myself in a passage, something that I'm actually studying first for myself and then to share with you secondly, I, I get this sense that this is the greatest passage in the Bible. Several years ago, I was sharing with you from 1 John and had just begun it. And when I got around to verse 7, I, had, I, had, the, the, I was so excited about what I had been studying and reading that I was waking up about every two hours, dreaming about the lesson and thinking I'd come up with these thoughts in the middle of the night. And I'd get up many times and I'd write notes to myself and stay up for another hour or two writing notes just from what had, had just the overflow of the study. And so the Sunday that I came here to share that particular passage, I was so exhausted that I, I almost couldn't do it. Several people looked at me and said, what's wrong with you beforehand? I was just, I was exhausted. Dr. Joan Palmer checked me out afterwards and said you're dehydrated and you need to go and drink Gatorade and I remember it took about a month for me to to rehydrate I was just exhausted from the excitement of that passage and it was the same a few months ago or a couple months ago when we started this the study of the book of Romans in chapter 6 my friend in Texas had called me and shared some thoughts and it got my my brain rolling on that and it, it I, it came, the, the thing that comes out to me more than anything else, the, the thing that I regret the most is just my lack of ability and my lack of time to be able to share with you what I've discovered myself. I don't know how to share the, from, from the things that I study. 
And we come to Romans chapter 8. And many people regard this. This is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Years ago, I was listening to a man named Richard Rogers. Some of you might, may have heard him speak. He was from Texas. And he was delivering a message at a seminar. There were several thousand there. And he said his topic was Romans chapter 8. And he said, let's read it. And we, he started reading and I was following in the Bible. And I looked up and he wasn't reading. He was quoting it. He quoted the whole chapter. And he shared with us that he had for many years made it a practice, a habit of his, that he would read Romans chapter 8 before he got out of bed each morning. And it made an influence, a profound influence, of course, on him and many others. It begins with, there is now no condemnation. It goes on to speak about receiving the spirit of sonship and crying, Abba, Father. It proclaims that we are heirs of God and that we've been brought into the glorious freedom as the children of God. He encourages, encourages us that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and intercedes for us and that God works for the good for those who love Him and that we are more than conquerors. And all this sums up a chapter of great hope and encouragement. <clears throat> it goes without saying, the year 2020 has been remarkably stressful for many. Our news media has been a constant source of discouragement, has showcased suffering and death and pain and sorrow to the point that many of us feel frustrations, and, the, and, and are tempted, and we are tempted to live our lives centered on the bondage and limits that either have been placed on us or we've placed on ourselves. And this is why I want to recenter, take some time to recenter our thoughts and our lives, bringing us back into the reality of God's grace, that God created us for his, that, that the reality that God created for his children. And that he brings out so beautifully in this chapter. This chapter is for the discouraged and depressed. It's a chapter for those who are struggling with sin and guilt. This chapter is for those who question God's love for them. Or feel they, have, they lack the power to live correctly. This is a chapter for those who are struggling to know how to pray or who are feeling overwhelmed by the world's events around them. It's a chapter for the times in which we live, but it's a chapter for all times. We go to the first verse that says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want us to take a moment, maybe following Richard's thought, we could just think about that for a minute. But we won't take a minute. Instead, why don't we just say it's there on the screen. Let's just read it as loud as you can through your mask. Let's read it together. Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to really fully understand this, or better, I can't fully understand it, but better understand this chapter. We need to set it in the context. There's a context we need to set it into. And it, it begins with this, this word, therefore. And this is something I've shared with you many times. That's an important word. I learned it in my 20s, that if we, if we take a look at this word, therefore, it, as it was told me, is there for a reason. It's saying there is a reason. I'm, I'm stating a reason here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you something based on something else. And so the question is, is what is this linking word? This is a linking word. It's a conjunction that links something. And so the question that I begin with this is, is, well, what is this linking me to? What is this word tying in so that I can understand there is no condemnation? To understand it, I have to understand what he's there for. What are you saying the word therefore? And I think it's a summation of the entire book because, I mean, you read some people, they'll say, well, it backs up to, and this is a good place to start, it backs up to the previous verse. And that's a good, that's a good way, place to start. Chapter 7, verse 25. And then some, as you read, will say, no, it all it links all the way back to chapter 5. It's this thought that goes through chapter 5. And then some will say it's ch chapter 3 onward. And then I said, read those, and I started reading the entire section. I said, no, I think it's all the way back to chapter 1. So we're going to link today the entire, the, the first eight chapters, the first seven chapters as we enter into chapter 8. The theme, and I shared this in, when I were in chapter 6, the theme of Romans, the, the theme verse, is in verse 1, 17, where it says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. <clears throat> now this is a place that I wish I, I had a more ability to, to share with you. A righteousness from God. That word means a right relationship, a correct relationship with God, a correct relationship with God. And, and if you think about it, this is only important if, it's, if it matters to you. It, 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 well, not to you. It is only important if it matters, if it matters. Let me ask it this way. Do you want a right relationship with Meleti Mudunumbitu? And you go, I don't know him. Now, I know him. I think my mother knows him. I think my sister has met him. He's a Christian in Fiji. And you say, well, I neither know him nor does he affect my life. So what does a right relationship matter? It, does, it doesn't really matter. I, I may never meet him, and maybe when we go to heaven, I'll meet him. It might matter then. But you'd say it doesn't matter. And, and for, but for those of you who know, and you know them, and you know they affect your life, it should matter. We should, those who are closest to us, we should want a right relationship, a correct relationship with them. Or we could say a healthy relationship, something like that. And those closest to us, and the ones we know more, we want that correct relationship with them. You may not know God. But many of you know the power of God 
And you think about the power of God. I mean, he controls the universe. He controls your destiny. He controls the end result of your life. You should want a right relationship with the God of that power. Do you want a right relationship with the IRS? I don't really know the IRS, but I want a right relationship with this as an organization of power that can make your life miserable. I know this from personal experience. In the 1980s, I was audited. I was making $1,000 a month. I have no idea why they came after me. But I go in there. They, had a, they sent me a, a big old thick printout of all the things that they wanted. And I gathered them all. I, I had nothing to hide. I wasn't making hardly any money. It was my first job, my first real job. And I bring it all in, and the lady goes through everything. She goes, okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. And then she asked me for something I didn't have, and I said, I, I don't have that. You, you didn't ask for it. And she pointed at the bottom of the last page, and it said, and anything else we require. I made four or five trips there, bringing back something else and something else. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? My life, I was not in a right relationship. It was a miserable time of my life. I, w I was losing sleep then, too. Do you want to, a right relationship if you're, it, with the health department if you, own a, if you own a restaurant? Yeah, you want a right relationship with the health department. You may not like the health department, but you want a right relationship with them. You want a right relationship in the law, eyes of the law, when the policeman stops you. A couple of months ago, I made a U-turn up on Martin Road, legal U-turn. And I, I pulled, turn, turning left in the U-turn and then slid over to the right far lane. There was three lanes I needed to get over to. And suddenly the police, I don't know where he came from. He was behind me with the lights on. It was amazing. And I pulled over to the side. And I was thinking, I'm, you know, what's he stopping me for? And he said, well, I, I failed to signal as I, you know, I signaled left on the U-turn, but then I didn't flip right, and I slid over, he said, and he said, you swerved. Have you been drinking? <laughs> I had not. <laughs> I was in a right relationship. I had no outstanding warrants. I wasn't, I had, I really had no fear because I was just sitting there stopped at night waiting for him to either get, grant me mercy or, or law. <laughs> he let me go. Yeah. He, he saw I wasn't drinking and let me go. And you know, the history of the world is just filled with humanity going to extraordinary lengths trying to appease the gods. And I thought about just reading some illustrations, but they're, they're just, just read history. Extraordinary links. And the good news is this. The good news is that of Romans and the good news of the gospel is that the power of God, the power that he has, the, the strength that he has is wrapped up in good news. It's wrapped up in good news that's designed to bring you into a good and a right relationship with God. This is what God wants. He wants to use his power not to fine you, to punish you, but he wants to use his power 
to bring you into a right relationship with, with God. In verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's good news. The righteousness is from God. It's not from my effort. It's not because I'm doing so well that God looks at me and says, my goodness, Alan, you're, you're, you live your life so well. You, you do such a good job. You, you live for me. You do so many good things that I'm going to bring you into a relationship with me. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has everything to do with, with God. And my part is just simply this, faith. And that's a, that's a difficult word. We, we actually spent, I think, the beginning of this year or last year sometime, some lessons on faith. And this is just the point of, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe this power of God. I'm going to believe this gospel to the point that I'm going to obey. I'm just, whatever God says, I'm going to do. That's, that's what faith is. That's what trust is. It's just this complete trust that I know if he said it, it's true. Even if I don't feel like it's true, if I, if I struggle with it, if I have my doubts, that's okay. But if God said it, it's true, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, not so that God will look at me and say, you're doing great, but because God is great, and he said, hey, this is the way you live, and I go, okay, I'm going to do that. And so this therefore is, therefore, since I have been showing you, Paul says, it's all these eight chapters, that God brings good news in this fact that you can have a good and a right relationship with him because of that fact, therefore, there is now no condemnation. And so the rest of chapter 1 and 2, he, sh he just goes and shows that all people, no matter who they are, all people on their own strength and their own power have no hope. If you rely on your own strength, you rely, rely on your own power, there's no there's no hope. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you do the same things. He says, Be careful with your finger pointing at other people and saying, Look at what they're doing. Look what that person's doing. Look what that person's doing. Because he said, When you do that, you're, you're saying, I have a law here, and you condemn yourself. If you're going to live by the law, then live by the law and be condemned by the law. Chapter 2, verse 12. I don't have this on the screen, but I do have it in my Bible. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you say, I'm going to live by the rules or I'm not going to live by the rules. It doesn't matter. You're, you're condemned Either way, you're going to perish either way. And so the underlying theme of chapter 1 through chapter 3, and, and, and this, is, this is my thoughts. As I read through this, I said, what, what's the underlying theme of this whole two chapters here? And I think we can put it in this sentence. We all want justice. Everyone wants justice. As children, one of the very first words we ever, sentences we, we utter is, that's not fair. And what do parents respond? Life's not fair, right. I want to tell you about Susie McNeil. 
Before we went to New Zealand in the 60s, we lived here in Huntsville. I went to kindergarten and first grade in, um, in Madison Academy. Susan McNeil was the popular girl of first grade. She was confident. She was pretty. I think she was pretty. Uh, she was the queen of our, of our grade. And I don't know if it's homecoming or whatever it was, but each class elected their king and their queen to represent the whole school. You know, first grade had their second grade. Of course, the most important was seniors. But Susan McNeil was the queen of first grade. We were playing baseball or softball, and she, of course, was the pitcher. I was on the other team. The first guy gets up. She pitched the ball. He hits the ball. He makes it to first base. Second guy hits the ball. He goes to first base. First baseman goes to second base. So we've got a person on first and second base. I come up to bat. I hit the ball straight to her. She grounds it. I'm taken off to first base, and she takes off smart to third base to cut off the guy going from second to third. He stops halfway, sees he's caught, runs back to second base. I'm on first. There's two guys on second. <laughs> Thus was this big discussion of first graders discussing how many people can you have on second base. <laughs> My dad told me that as long as you're on second base, you're safe. It doesn't matter how many there are. And we know you can only have one. And the teacher was just let us have our own. You know, we could figure it out. And so Susie decided, okay, we're going to have two people on second base. Next guy get, hit, gets up, hits the ball, grounds it right back to Susie. I run from first base to second base. The two guys on second base run to third base. She takes off for third base. There's a guy on first base. The two guys on stop. They head back to second base. Now there's three guys on second base. Susie comes up to me with a softball and tags me and says, only two on base. You're out. And I'm sitting there, that's not fair. Well, because the, at least the, the first guy that got to second base who has tried third base twice, he at least should be the first one to be tagged out, right? Or the second one who's been there for, you know, uh, two batters, he should be tagged out. And they both ran, and I was on second base before they came back. It's not fair. My sister, Claudia, assures me that she tagged me out because she liked me. And to her credit, when it came time for voting for king and queen, she told all her, ki her kids, her friends, to vote for me. I was the king of first grade. <laughs> and that was not fair for the other two guys in the running because they were more popular and they were good-looking guys, but life's not fair. You know, we want justice. We want justice until we break the law. I, I, it was not fair that Susie tagged me out on a second, but it wasn't fair that she talked all her friends into choosing me for king of first grade either. But I was okay with that. I didn't stand up and say, hey, that's not fair. This guy's more popular than me. Life's not fair. And we cry for justice. And the point of these chapters is we've all broken the law. We've broken the law, folks. And it's not fair. And if you want justice, then it's time to stand before the, justice, the just judgment seat and receive your justice. Do you want justice? Do you want fairness? 
Okay, here it is, verse 20. No one will be, be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So if we say, God, I want justice, I demand justice, God says, stand before me. Receive justice. We want it, but we don't want it. How can fairness be restored? How can justice be restored without me suffering? How can this world be made right without me paying a penalty? And the answer is in the following verses, and I have part of them here. But now a righteousness from God, a right relationship with God, apart from the law, apart from you keeping the rules, has been made known, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there's no difference. For all have sinned. We're all in the same boat. All four fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made just like you've never sinned, freely by His grace through the redemption, the payment that came by Christ Jesus. God presented, presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate justice. He did this to show you the fairness, the justice. At the present time, so as to be just, so to be fair, to be right, God said, God is just, and be the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. He can be just, he can proclaim justice, he can do the right thing, and he can make you right at the same time, not by what you've done or not done, but through Christ. And so chapter 4 goes into an illustration here. It says, remember Abraham and the Jews, they're the, the best person in the world was Abraham. Uh, if, they, if they had, they might have had an argument. Well, David was great. Look at all the Psalms he wrote. Yes, but David killed a lot of people too. All right, so, all right. So if you were to choose a great person, a good person, you go to Abraham, even with his faults, even with his, his sins, even with his struggles. But if you were to choose someone that says, man, he's a good person, that would be Abraham. And so he uses this man, and, he, and Abraham began the Jewish nation, so it's a good person to start with, and says he was justified not by his goodness, but by faith. And then he ties a promise to Abraham and his descendants. He, there's a promise that's given to Abraham because of his faith, and it's tied to the people, his descendants. And the promise is stated by David in Psalms, quoted here in Romans, where he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Oh, how happy are you when your transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will never count against him. That's a, that's a blessing. How happy are you when God does not count sin against you. And so we have this blessing, Abraham and his descendants, and we ask, well, how does a person get this? And it's in verse 13 where it says, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise. It wasn't through the law, not through keeping rules, but it was through the righteousness that comes, the right relationship with God that comes by faith. 
So what he is saying here is if you live by faith, if you live by faith, then Abraham is your spiritual father. You are his descendant spiritually. You're linked to this promise that God made to him. God made this promise to you too. And you can see this in verse 16. Verse 16 where it says, let me find it here. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. And you say, well, I'm not a Jew. Listen, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, he is the father of all. all. In other words, if you have faith the way Abraham had faith, you are counted as his descendant. So his faith is your faith. God takes it and he places, takes your faith and he places it on the credit side of the ledger. I don't know a lot about bookkeeping, but if it's on the credit, you get a positive. It's a good thing. Look at verse 22 and 23 of Romans 6 where it says, This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, not for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. He will put in your account righteous. That's the credit for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And so we get into chapter 5. And chapter 5 begins with a therefore. And it's based on this that he's been saying. He says, Look at all this that I've been telling you. Therefore, we, we are, since we have been justified, we've been made just like we've never sinned through faith. What happens? Here's, it, it, you have peace. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live at peace. That's a, it's one of my favorite words in any language. Peace. Don't you want to come home to peace? Don't you want to work in peace? Don't you want to live in peace? Therefore, since you've been made just like you never sinned, we have peace with God. And that's not just for, for your past sins. It is for your present and for your future sins. You look at chapter 5, verse 9. Since you, we have now been justified by his blood, since we've been made just like we've never sinned by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? God's wrath isn't God's, he's just mad at you. God's wrath is he's got to make things right. He's got to, he's got to balance the scales. So this balance of the scales, we're saved from that too. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, we were made friends to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, having God has brought us into this friendship, shall we be saved through his life? And this salvation isn't a one point, it's just the way we live our lives, a life of salvation. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that brings us in chapter 6, where he, we spent some time, we talked about how the, we were brought into this new life, we're in a new reality, this is the way, now this is the way we live. This is what is real to those who are in Christ. In chapter 5, verse 2, he said, we have gained access by faith into his, this grace in which we now stand. We stand in his grace. This is where we are. 
We're standing in his grace. And that's why I called it a grace dimension. We're in a new reality. And so we're raised to walk a, a new life. By faith, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. Richard showed us his baptism certificate from 60-some-odd years ago, 66, 64, 60-something years ago. And it was at that point he was baptized into Christ. And we studied in this chapter how we now learn to think differently. We learn to live differently in this new life, in this kingdom of God, as it's called. And this, the sin that infects the entire universe, the sin of me, selfish me, I want to do things my way, I want to live for me, I want to be the center of my universe, is no longer that controlling factor of our life. It's no longer the, the uh, uh, modus operandi, the way we live our lives. It's not the way we live our lives anymore. Oh, we struggle with it. We talked about the struggle. But that's not the center of our lives anymore. Our sin, the center right now is Christ and who he is and what he has done and living in a new dimension. And as we struggle with it, we live for him. Verse 11 and 12 of chapter 6. In the same way, he says, just the way Christ died and he died once for all, he says, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop there because I've got a few more things to say before we close. Chapter 7 shows this parallel. Not only did we die to sin, we died to the law. And he says, in faith you were baptized, you, you died to sin, you were transformed to this new way of life, but you also died to having to keep the law in order to be righteous. You don't have to keep the law in order to be righteous anymore. And so in verse 4 he says, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to, one, to another in order that we might bear fruit to God. Living the law in order to be right before God is frustrating at best. Look at verse 15 where Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I, I agree the law's good because I'm struggling with this and I hate it. And so I'm saying, well, the law's good. Lose my place. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature, this, all my feelings and passions. For I have the desire, I have the desire to do what is good. Don't you? You want to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, I do, and this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. Boy, isn't that a, we want to spend a few weeks there? But that's the struggle. We all can relate to that struggle. And the result of this struggle in your life and my life, is, is, we could say, is wretchedness. The effects that it has on our body and our soul and our sleep habits and our mind, this ongoing strain. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who will, reckon, who will, who will rescue me from this body of death?
The theme all throughout Romans is free in Christ. Free in Christ. We're no longer under the wrath of God. We're free from wrath. When it comes to justice, it's not us who justifies ourselves, but it's God who balances the scales through Christ. He does it not with the amount of good that you've done. It has nothing to do with the good or the bad you've done. It has your faith in Christ Jesus. He, he balances the scales in Christ. We're free from wrath. We're free from sin. We no longer live in this realm, this existence, this world of sin, the kingdom of s- Satan and sin. We, live, we don't live under its power. Doesn't, it's not the power that we live under. It's not the dominion. We've been transferred from one realm to another, and we're in this realm of the heavenly realms. We're in the realm of grace. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in Christ. We're free from sin. And we're free from law. All the rules of do and don't. The fear of knowing that we've, we've broken the law. And I have to stand in judgment of it. Punishment is deserved. That's taken from us if you're in Christ. And so in verse 25, that last verse of chapter 7, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of that, we're also free from death. We're free from this eternal separation from God. And we'll explore that more in chapter 8. And we come to this word, Therefore, now do you see why I had to go all the way back? So you know what he says. All that, all that I've been saying for 38 minutes and 5 seconds. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Augustus Top Lady wrote what we consider ancient hymns now. He was once caught in a fierce storm in the Burrington Combe Gorge in England. It was in the 1760s, so it was dark. There was no shelter, there was no houses, there was no light. But the minister found a, a cleft in a rock in the side of this mountain, side of this mountain, a cleft that he went in and sheltered during the horrific storm that was going on around him. And it was there he was inspired to write a hymn when he got home, got dry, called Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, that's Jesus. Cleft for me. The cleft of the rock was for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. This is a poetic way, but it's beautiful. Be of sin the double cure. This is a double cure that happens. Save from wrath and made me pure. Double cure. And then he says, not the labor of my hands, not what I've done, can fulfill thy law's commands. 
Could my zeal no rest but no, could I just go and just be zealous and on fire for the Lord and there was no rest in my zeal. Never have rest, just fully 100%, totally committed 100% of the time. Could my tears forever flow? Could I just repent and repent and repent and just be in re constant tearful repentance? All for sin, not that kind of zeal and not that kind of repentance could sin atone. Thou must save and thou alone. What do we bring? We stand before the judgment seat of God. We will stand before the judgment seat. What are you going to bring? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And I would add to that, if you could do it poetically with the music and the power of his resurrection. Because his death doesn't take on the power without the resurrection. Simply to the cross and his resurrection I cling. Naked, spiritually, I come to thee for dress. I, I, you clothe me, God. What am I clothed in? In Christ. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, that's my condition. I, to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. I might lose sleep studying through Romans 8. I hope you do too. If we do. As we look at this great chapter. I hope we're going to be inspired. And encouraged. And uplifted. And we're going to put behind us. All these things. Of 2020. And we're going to look forward. To what God has for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you and God bless.